Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. This comes after a weekend of Phillies baseball, and then there wasn't Phillies baseball. To talk about it, Frank Close here along with Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody. And gentlemen, things have quickly started and quickly ended. Things aren't looking very good right now, Jeff. Yeah, I was wondering what I was uh, if I was upset about the coronavirus spread with the Marlins on uh, Monday night, or if I was happy that I didn't have to watch the Phillies bullpen pitch against the Yankees. <laughs> so I was I was very conflicted. You didn't think Cole Irvin was going to get the job done there against uh, Stanton and Judge in the middle of the sixth? No, I'm just you know not feeling that faith right now. It's amazing how the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> well, the Phillies might have gotten out of some trouble uh, in this case if if the, the Let's face it. Can these games even be made up? You know, Jeff, you, you mentioned a while back that what that stretch of 20 games in 20 days, like there's no real, no real time to, to, to redo these games. I wonder if they're just got to eat some of these games and not play them. But the but the reality is there there is no baseball. There is an outbreak of COVID-19 among the Miami Marlins. And we knew as of Sunday before the game. So the Mar- we already knew at first Jorge Alfaro. He was the first one to really test positive from from what we know and he did not play that whole weekend against the Phillies but then by Sunday we, we were up to four including that day's starter Jose Urania and then next thing you know 14 players and coaches as of Monday and by Tuesday we're up to 18 Marlins players and or coaches infected by COVID-19. Hunter should we have played on Sunday? Probably not. The one thing that I don't like is the whole group chat thing. I think the whole, hey, do you think we should play this baseball game concept shouldn't have been in play. But the one thing that I I don't like to hear is, you know, I know that there's a lot of people just ripping to shreds, Manfred and the whole entire league. What are they thinking? We all understand that in the beginning, they wanted to do a bubble. And all the players said, no, we're not doing a bubble. And now that we see the NHL be so successful, we're watching the NBA being so successful. To this point, I mean, things can actually happen once they start going. But zero positive tests, two positive tests, those are good numbers for what you've been hearing throughout those two leagues. The players stood there and said, no, we don't want to do this. So I think that needs to be played into effect here, played into the equation when we discuss why this is happening at the moment. That's not to say the owners and the leagues, by the way, didn't have a a fault because this group message thing was a problem. But didn't the players sign off on the group messaging being in play when it comes to positive tests? Yeah, I'm going to say it sounded like in that hundred plus page manual of what to do, they didn't say what to do if somebody in your team gets it. That was shocking, Frank. That's what I couldn't believe, that there was actually no written legislation in that new agreement or in that return to work agreement that kind of authorized what teams are supposed to do when there's a specific number of coronavirus cases. So uh, how could you have a 101 page document with all the details and this and not have some kind of written instruction on what happens in a situation like that that happened that that boggles my mind no it definitely it's it's very odd and it's ridiculous and they're the upper management so they're the ones that should be coming down with the rules but for as no i blame both i, uh, I think both sides are blamable. Say, right yeah. like the players for as you know head on that they were with the the unit or the owners and the league and all of that 
How did they not counter and say, hold on, guys. If I, I just, It shows me that that fight had nothing to do with safety is what it comes down to. You know, like it was purely money. And finally, when they come out with this safety protocol, all the players were ready to rock and roll instantly. It makes no sense. So when we were talking about this early on, this, I guess it was the pause season. I don't know what else to call it. Early proposal said, hey, if there's a spike in one area, well, maybe you'll play your game somewhere else. Should the Marlins go anywhere near Miami? Miami is literally the most infected city in this entire pandemic so far. <laughs> no, it, it's it's very unsurprising that the first Corona outbreak in baseball came from a team that plays in Florida, given what's going on in Florida. Now, where would you put them? Uh, then you, now you have the situation of, you have the Marlins looking for a home. You had the Blue Jays looking for a home. I don't know if baseball wants to to get involved with that, Frank. And I think that when you put all those protocols in place, even if you're in a state that's hit hard by the coronavirus, if you're quarantined, if you're getting tested, you should have you should be front and center for this thing. But you're you're making a good point. They're not clearly, and that becomes an issue. I, I think it would be. Uh, strange but I'm, I'm sure the show is going to go on that they're going to go and play back in, in miami but here's the here's the problem like it, it's not so much <laughs> not so much where it, it's just the fact that how do you avoid it if you were in miami right now i mean all you need is one player family member to go to the grocery store and somebody looks at them in the wrong direction and they mm-hmm. can take it back to the entire team i mean they might not even have been negligent in any way whatsoever and they still came down with it because they have to go about their normal business in the city of Miami. Well, unfortunately, that's a big gap right now. That's a big question that I'm very curious about. How did this thing start? Who got it? How did they get it? You know, you never want to cast aspersions and just assume somebody was doing something that they shouldn't have done. But I, I think in order to really curtail the thing, you have to have everybody on the same page. And it makes you wonder if a couple of people, you know, you've seen it in the NBA bubble, Lou Williams, whatever, um, if a couple of people are breaking protocol. Yeah, I was I was actually listening to the Michael K show and he's obviously the play-by-play guy for the for the Yankees and he was talking about how he was having a conversation with an agent and that agent was saying there's a ton of guys in the league right now that look at this as a joke. They won't wear their masks. They just don't take it seriously. And there's a lot of people around the league right now doing that in clubhouses and when I heard that, I guess I'm thinking to myself, "Damn, I, it makes a lot of sense that this is happening then." A lot of people are doing that in any career, exactly. right? I mean, <laughs> right, but for right. A, sport, a sports league to work like this in a non-bubble situation, it, you're screwed. I mean, you're screwed <laughs> if you have guys with that mentality. Well, speaking of being screwed, I feel like the Marlins did that to the Phillies, you know, two times over. A, they, they kicked the crap out of them, beating them two out of three. <laughs> and then B, because of this, I mean, you asked the question, how, how do they make these games up, Frank? I have to assume they're going to be in the form of double headers, right? I mean, if you're going to make a game up, especially because the Phillies don't have a lot of off days, they're probably going to be some extra double headers now. And that does not favor a team like the Phillies as we, you know, we'll probably talk about their, their pitching depth or lack thereof. It's going to hurt. Yeah. So, yeah. So really on one of those days off, then what do you do? Do you, you, you have the Yankees come to Philly and play play two and then go back to the rest of their 20 days in a row schedule a day after very, very challenging. But, you know, worse than the Phillies making up two games, what do you do about the Marlins? How do they feel the team? How do they play their games? What, what do they possibly do from here, Hunter? I mean, I, I think originally they put together a bigger roster. So for situations like this, they'll be able to handle it. But maybe they didn't expect it to be, what, is it 18 at this point right it could now? Be 16 players, two coaches, I think. 
You're just going to have to put together a, me. a Camden River Sharks type squad and, and get out there and play, sadly. I mean, that's really what you can do because you can't take them off the schedule. That screws up everybody else's games played. But so, I, I want to just ask you one thing because you were talking about how to fit in these games. Is it possible that they make an adjustment on the fly and maybe expand the season, make it longer? I don't think they can. I mean, they that, can that was MLB's argument from the start is that, hey, look, we need to end by September 27th because we need the playoffs. And then after the playoffs, we need to do our presidential election coverage. You know, so obviously the election season's a you know, it only happens every four years and it's a big deal for the major television networks. So the, they didn't want to be competing with baseball to, to do their election coverage, which I guess makes financial sense for them. But so that's that's a pretty hard endpoint, it sounds like. Okay. Yeah. No, I just didn't know if they can make an adjustment on the fly. Look, this is so crazy. This is so wonky. Maybe they push it into November and then you got to factor in weather and whatnot as well and all that. So I just threw out the idea maybe that they, they have to, to try and get these games in because they can't go by win percentage. If one team plays 40 games and another team plays 60, that's unfair, right? So you got to get these games in. It's really hard right now um, to have that optimism that this thing is going to work and go through. I mean, I expected that there were going to be some coronavirus cases throughout the year. I'm sure everybody did. And then all of these arrangements that they put in place, your taxi squad, your, your quote unquote minor league team working out. But then for the first weekend to elapse and already you have an outbreak that's going to decimate how many players was it? Fifty up to could be it could be as many as like sixteen. I think there's a couple 16. coaches, but the number yeah. is eighteen from the yeah, pe- more from than, group more of than, players. Yeah, more than half a team. But most, let me that ask you this: doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Go ahead. I mean, can you really sit here and say because of one team you got to cancel the season or f- like? No, I don't know. Right. I don't think that. I, I, right how, now, right. I'm just saying this doesn't inspire confidence because it was only the first weekend right. of MLB. So we'll have to see what happens from here. But man, that's rough. Just like the Phillies passed all their tests. You know, there were no negative tests in the first round of testing apps and Marlins. But we all know. That, I'm sorry, there were no positive tests. You know, I get the whole positive negative thing. It's a pretty big mess up right now. <laughs> yes, it is. There were no positive <laughs> tests. <laughs> um, but we also know that, you know, the virus sometimes can be can't be detected until more than a day or two uh, later in your body. So we're sitting here right now thinking the Phillies have cleared a hurdle, but only a, a minor hurdle. Yeah, well, apparently they're getting tests. So, so from what I understand from from Jim Salisbury, they've been tested. They're going to get tested again today so that when they travel to New York, they'll know, hopefully, if anybody has come into contact with with one of the Marlins players. Now, supposedly, if you follow the protocols, them being outside and on the field probably doesn't put them at huge risk. I mean, it, it's probably that the problem was with the Marlins is they're traveling together on the same planes and on the same buses. And um, that makes it really, really hard to, to do uh, to, to really do anything. And if they're getting tested so frequently and, they, and as you said, you know, they get the negative result and they think, OK, I'm good. And then they get on a plane and fly somewhere. And then meanwhile, so the asymptomatic person who, who hasn't tested positive yet is spreading it to the whole plane. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a scary scenario. No doubt about it. But I mean, there it's either that scares you to the point where you don't have a season or you kind of take that risk. And that's the only way we can get sports back right now, sadly. So I'm not, saying, break, it's, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying like that's reality. It's either you take that risk of you know, passing it along and getting it and playing sports, or we just sit here and we wait for the cure. 
Do you have to yeah, break I'm up just... the teams to like travel? Like you have to say, well, players one through four come on this bus, five through eight on this bus. Seven, that, that's do they have to get that crazy? Well, for, if they do, which it's possible, Frank. I mean, that's um, I would say it doesn't apply to every series, but you know that's why they've mandated that you're only playing your division games and you're only playing the teams that are close to you. You could theoretically take several buses up to the Bronx to play the Yankees, right? You could do things like that or same down to Baltimore or whatever. Obviously, the games you have to fly to. You have to be a little bit more creative, but hopefully you don't have to have that situation with more than what you're seeing now. But the big question is, what is there anything written into the agreement where if you have a team that's pretty much wiped out, like the Marlins are, I mean, they may struggle to put together enough players. What do they do? Do, they, do you just shuffle? Do you just shove players at them and say, Hey, play with these guys? Or do they yeah, shut down? Like, Swarzak, Drew Storm, Bud Norris, <laughs> yeah, Francisco a bunch of free agents. <laughs> I think you do have to though. You do have to kind of throw players at them because if you, Put away the Marlins. I know the I don't follow the MLS that much, but I'm pretty sure that there were teams in these in this MLS's back tournament where they said, Hey, you guys have to go and you can't play in this anymore. So they did do that in the MLS and it worked. But because of the way the schedule is and how many more teams there are in this in this season, that just screws up who plays the Marlins. Then what happens to all those teams? They just don't have games anymore. They get the automatic win. It's a good point, but what about, say, let's say it happened to a team like the Phillies, right? Not the Marlins. Let's say it happened to the Phillies who are already pressed up against the luxury tax and they have to bring in 10 new players, right, and pay them. And if they're veterans, they have to make a certain amount of money. Are they going to be able to do is it? This is, is this what the owners were talking about as far as losing money? Now they have to pay 10 new players, you know, along with the injured player or the COVID stricken players that they're already paying. They may have to go over the luxury tax, pay that because they've got a half a new team. And they're just sitting there trying to, you know, stay afloat. I'm surprised that they they didn't come to some sort of agreement before this that that the luxury tax will be okay for the extra like the extra players don't count against it because that could have been why Francisco Liriano got released maybe because the you know you're adding I, I did see one report suggest that you're adding five players to the roster well then that that all adds up basically to the salary that Liriano was going to make and, right and you figure you're going to have some more coming in and then it's a shame to make decisions like that but I mean. You, you know, for a sixty-game season, you almost don't want to go over the the cap because you don't want to have a um, be penalized draft picks and stuff like that. That will help you later for, for when you have really long seasons again. Yeah. So in the contract, it should say luxury tax be damned, and then the owners just sign off on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The players would love it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, even but just for now, if this happened to. I hate to put people's names and associate it with it, but if we were turning on ESPN and we saw Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, and Stanton test positive for coronavirus, is this a different conversation? What do you mean? Because it's the Yankees, because it's like it's the Marlins, right? I mean, I know it's a big outbreak. It's 18 people. No one's not looking at this seriously. I think everybody is, but I just feel like the conversation might be intensified by 20 if we're now talking about the New York Yankees or the LA oh, yeah, Dodgers. Been, I see what you're saying. Like you could have shut it down by now. Like the whole sport might have been shut down if it was the Yankees. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because they're a, a favorite to win the World Series. And now the whole conversation about, uh, you know, in, integrity when it comes to how real this season was comes into play. But it's the Marlins and they're supposed to stink anyway that, hey, keep the season going. Right. I do think they should keep the season going, to be fair. But, you know, I just feel like it would be a totally different story. Yeah, this is, I, this, I think he's right about that. Yeah, this is this is going to be... 
I, they're going to have to find all these players that have been released from other teams and just throw them out there. I mean, really, like, I, I remember once upon a time, that uh, probably back in the late 90s, I think one of Pat Burrell's teammates in Reading was Israel Alcantara. Do you remember that name, Jeff? He played for the, the, the Boston Red Sox for yeah, a Yeah, Izzy years. Alcantara. Yeah, so I remember Izzy Alcantara was... Minor leagues. Yeah, he was, he was not a Phillies player, but he was on loan to Reading from the Tampa Bay Rays or Devil Rays then at the time. So they, mm-hmm. they, there has been a precedent that you could lend players or or maybe do the Rob Ducey thing where you trade them for a player to be named later and then that player to be named later is the same person. So, you know, uh-huh. the Phillies can spare Nick Williams right now who's not doing anything. So we'll trade you Nick Williams for a player to be named later and then Nick Williams comes back in return or maybe they can keep him. I don't know. But, yeah, but do you think a division team wants to help a division right, team? Right, that's I what I'm thinking. How the pity? I mean, I mean, if, if they're players <laughs> that aren't on your active roster, then what the heck? Yeah. I mean, I don't think they yeah. would subtract from their active roster. But Good I mean, thing we didn't give point. up barrels then, you know? <laughs> Who was it? Uh, Tyler Clifford, I think, you know, was one of the players that, that, that was going to try to be in that Nashville camp that i don't think that ever really materialized right where they would have a stash of players right maybe you really need that stash of players in nashville at this point i think so it would help by the way izzy alcantara i think is infamous for being in a minor league brawl in which he got hit by a pitch and before he charged the mound he kicked the catcher (laughs) to keep the catcher from holding him back and then he went after the pitcher look at this fantastic look at this knowledge (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure it's googleable (laughs) That's the name. I, I'm surprised that name came up. I didn't think I'd ever bring that name up on a uh, Phillies. Uh, well, I didn't podcast. think I didn't think that Mosh would bring up Michael Franco ever again. But here he is texting me last night, going, "Look at this guy." I said, "He stinks." I don't want to hear about Franco. Oh, over the weekend, you saw Michael Franco versus Cesar Hernandez. You know, get get your uh, you know uh, Gabe Kapler era Phillies fix on, right? Please no. But but. <laughs> But they're going to have to do something, right, to 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 get teams through this. And and, and chances are, this isn't going to be the last team either, wouldn't you say? I don't know. No, that's, I hope, I hope that's so, the but thing. I don't, know. Yeah. I don't know. Right now, through the first weekend, it's only been one weekend. You know, this is the real first legit outbreak we've had. I mean, there's a there's popping up. T- there's teams that have. Most you're laughing over here. You're distracting me because you're. What are you sending us the video? <laughs> yeah, he's sending, sending us the video. Of Israel I, I can't get my. Uh... Yeah, I, I can't get my thoughts together. I see him laughing, <laughs> and I see text flying through my phone. Uh, but no, like there's tests po- popping up around the league. One or two here on teams, and you're gonna have that. But I don't know if you're gonna have this 18 spread like you got with the Marlins. I just don't know if. It's adding up. Maybe they did something they weren't supposed to while the rest of the league is doing the best that they possibly can. I don't know. I, I have no idea. But I don't know if an 18-person breakout or more is going to pop around the league. I really hope not. Well, the good thing is we can really trust the words of the commissioner, Rob Manfred, who says that he's really not that worried about this being a nightmare scenario. I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel very, very comforted right. by the words of Ma- Rob Manfred Did to the point it? where it's just no big deal. What right? are you going to say, opening day He was being interviewed and then the lightning bolts yes, are like... I was thinking the same thing. It couldn't be any worse of a situation. <laughs> Man, he, is he not the most awful commissioner? I thought Sealing had some problems, but jeez. Yeah, this I thought, guy's messaging I, and tone. I thought Gary Bettman was bad at one point. You know, I thought Goodell was brutal at one point. It doesn't even compare. Yeah, everybody hates every commissioner of every sport. Right? Not, Adam not Adam Silver. Silver. <laughs> not Adam Silver. He's doing something right. <laughs> See, now I lost my train of thought. You're, you're making ah, me we were of... talking Phillies. 
Michael Franco, Vincent Cole Irvin. <laughs> Where do you want to begin? I mean, there's so much to get into. Got that? The guy. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For once, you got me speechless again. I. <laughs> don't so, let the Marlins, uh, by the way, don't let the Marlins' uh, COVID infections distract you <laughs> from the yeah. infectious bullpen. Yeah. Infectiously poor bullpen of the Phillies that we all said was going to be a problem going into the year. Reggie well, McClain. One more thing about the Marlins before we wrap up this first segment. So what do you do? What what can other teams learn about this? What can what can the rest of society learn about this? Now, uh, author Mitch Nathanson, who's written a, a book on Dick Allen and a couple other books uh, out there before, he, he's basically saying he wrote on this topic. He said, well, let's learn from this. So what can what can we take to the Major League Baseball and to greater society Having dealt with this situation, we'll start with you, Jeff. Man, uh, uh, Frank, I feel like we're too early into this to say what can we learn from this other than don't let players uh, police themselves. Don't let co- players and coaches don't put the, ha- the the decision in their hands. You know, if you if I believe there was a report that said in some infectious disease experts had recommended that they don't play. Well, follow the infectious disease experts, and that should have been in the writing. That should have been already outlined before the season began. I thought it was crazy me for thinking that the uh, you know this was part of the agreement, but you just you can't put leave that it in the hands stone of right now, right? So the first first sign of it, you just shut it down. Either yeah, either that or yeah, you don't play or you get those guys out and new guys in. Like, didn't a couple of them play knowing that they had tested? I think they played without. Positive? No, no, no. no. They if they tested positive, they did not play that game, but. If you know you have four to six people positive in your clubhouse, is it fair to say, hey, go play? Because the other guys could now have it. Right. No, no, you got to not play that day and then find your healthy guys, quarantine them to make sure that you can play the next day. You know, it's okay to miss one game because of that. You can make it up. But what you don't want is what we're going on right now where two games straight and then a third might be in doubt that you can't have that. Well, I I saw a lot of reports about how the Marlins – when they were playing, and I guess I didn't even take notice during the games, but high-fiving, taking each other's helmets off, just acting as if nothing is happening right now. And I'm sure they're not the only team. I think once you hit the baseball field, sometimes your instincts just take over. But, you know, I, I don't know. Like, do we now have to do what Reese Hoskins does and wear masks? I saw Bob Nightingale tweet about how, because Anthony Rizzo is a uh, cancer survivor, which I didn't even know that, that they might force whoever goes on first base to wear a mask because of Anthony Rizzo. And that that sparked an idea in my brain. How about everyone just wears the damn mask when they play? DD's hitting homers with it. Reese yeah, is walking, but, you know. I don't see the issue. I mean, wear think, the mask. You know? Think back to the 2008 World Series. They all, in that really cold game, had face, face yeah. coverings on. Well, they Reese is only it. wearing it when someone goes on first base. But, um, right. but yeah, it's I, I think it's maybe going to snowball into, hey, wear the damn mask when you play. But then you have... Or on the plane or yeah. on the bus. The, the problem is, and I hate to even bring this guy's name up, but you have the Aubrey Huffs of the world in the baseball uh, clubhouses that good luck getting them wearing it. Right. Well, well you, could take the, you could take the Marlins out of Florida, but you clearly can't take the Florida out of the Marlins. <laughs> On that note, let's head to our break, and we can't mask the Phillies' bullpen troubles. More on that after this. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. And welcome back to the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close here along with Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody, and we're talking Phillies baseball. Now that we've talked about the 
whatever you want to call this weekend, uh, this week's uh, cancellations. Let's talk about some other issues the Phillies had. Now, first, the good news, a very solid start from Zach Wheeler. You got exactly out of Zach Wheeler, just what you wanted. And then you're feeling pretty good. Then you get to Sunday, the Phillies spot a four-run lead to their number three starter. More on that in a second. And things just collapse. So I think we need to talk first about the the thing that got people, in my estimation, the most charged up over the weekend, and that was Vince Velasquez, right? For all the talk of, did he finally figure it out? Is Brian Price able to solve the, whatever you want to call it, that, that is Vince Velasquez? He came up very short. And it turned out, in the end, after all that conjecture, Vince Velasquez ended up being Vince Velasquez. So, Who would have thought? <laughs> so what do you do, Jeff? Well, first of all, I said last week on the pod that I felt that Vince Velasquez, even if he's not really changed, it's okay if he's him because he's now your fourth or fifth starter. But that was before they decided to make him the third starter. <laughs> so more on that in a second. Keep going. Yeah, more on that in a second. So um, you know, and we'll we'll talk about it. But I, I thought that that was uh, for Vince. It was going to be a one start debut. Are you different? Are you not? It was not different. It was bad. A lot of the same issues um, that we've seen with too many pitches and, you know, the cutter was obviously not cutting. And so I, I, you know, I don't know that you can keep this guy in the spot. And, you know, as you mentioned, Frank, uh, Spencer Howard was pitching kind of on the same days that aligned him to be pitching when Vince should be pitching next for the Phillies. So um, you have to wonder if there's a change that's going to be happening really quickly here. So let's, let's break that down before I get to, to Hunter's thoughts. So here's my take on this whole thing, right? Nobody expected that Vince would be named number three, right? So Correct. I think, I think he just pitched the third day. I think what ended up happening was Joe Girardi looked at what was coming up. He said, you know what? Whoever pitches on the third day does not face the New York Yankees. Right. They, I think they thought these four games, the first two, of course, did not happen, that these four games would be big games. So what he did was he put the weakest spot in the rotation on the third day and said to Jake Arietta, hey, listen, Jake, can I have you start against the Yankees, please? And then you figure that the that Eflin will start and then you'll have uh, Nola and you'll have Wheeler again on games three and four. Right. So then that series looks like you have some of your best options. So three of the four best options are there. And you figure, well, Vince Velasquez can't be that bad against the Marlins. Well, uh, <laughs> as, it turns, <laughs> as it turns out, it did not go very, very well. And what do you know? Up in Allentown that same day, Spencer Howard was pitching an intra-squad game, right? So my, my take on this whole thing is that they knew all along that Spencer Howard could jump in, come turn two in the rotation. And besides Vince missing the Yankees, so does Spencer Howard. He doesn't need to make his major league debut in New York against Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez. I think that this was designed from the beginning, and I don't care what Joe Girardi said on this postgame press conference. Vince Velasquez isn't starting again. Oh, how about that? I think you're right. Well, you're not going to say Joe Girardi's not going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just manipulating Spencer Howard's service time. So uh, <laughs> he's got to say, oh, yeah, well, you know. Yeah, it's coach speak. He's and, gonna, and then, he's then later on, speak. he can say, even though Girardi's usually the straight shooter, I mean, he, <laughs> he's not going to say he, he's not going to say that Spencer Howard's getting called up. And then, you know, it, it makes it makes it obvious to everybody as if it's not obvious every to everybody already that um, they're just trying to let his service time clock start 
later. Right? Right, Hunter? Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. It makes a lot of sense. A lot of teams do this, right? They set up their, their matchups and then... I'm sure if they have someone down in the minors that they're trying to call up at a certain point, they make sure that it works out for them properly. So I do think that that's in play. I'm more disappointed in myself because I did fall in love with that cutter and the change up <laughs> against the Yankees in the exhibition game. And I thought, oh, oh, oh let's go. <laughs> but I just, I was, I texted most yesterday when we were diving into the Michael Franco conversation, which is just absurd, by the way. And I was, <laughs> I was driving home from the radio station. And I was thinking, how many years now have we been talking about Vince Velasquez, Nick Pavetta, and Zach Eflin? Now, Zach Eflin might be able to be that fifth guy. We don't know yet. But, I mean, how many years are we seriously having this conversation? It's absurd. I never really put it into a time frame. It's been so long. I mean, we have to stop. We have to stop. We have to stop. And whose fault is it, by the way, that we've had to talk about these same pitchers who have not been developed year after year after year? Well, I think there's just it's just hard to acquire pitching. I mean, the Phillies, by by all accounts, were trying to get two starters this offseason. They paid mm-hmm. extra for Zach Wheeler because the price went way the heck up. And then right. then who else was out there to get? I mean, I think that, I don't that was know, but I problem. remember a certain part of the organization saying it's you grow the arms and buy the bats. So if you're trying yeah. to buy the bats and buy the arms, you haven't done a good job of now, growing. Now, now let's arms. be honest, like the, the starters that they have, they traded their assets at the time to get right. So what else do you get for Jonathan Papel uh, Bond when his contract's about to, to, to roll over for an extra year uh, than mm-hmm. getting Nick Pavetta back in return? What else do you, you know? What else do you get for your your immature closer that throws a hissy fit on the mound when when uh, you tell him uh, tell him he's out of line and Ken Giles and of course that he ended up being a bunch of nothing in the major leagues since right so what what else do you expect like the, the, when the Phillies went and grabbed all these pitchers Marlon Bird for Ben Lively they didn't exactly trade no major I know assets to a, try to get these arms no but they you know Clintac has been here for quite a while and they just and we'll see with Spencer Howard but they just have not developed a single arm, and that was supposed to be their mantra. So, yes, you're right, where they haven't really – I mean, they've used most of their first-round picks on position players, um, and they've tried to take chances on guys like Buckholtz and things that just didn't work out, but the bottom line is they haven't developed an arm yet. That, that's so the thing, that's, yeah. Developing. They, it's The drafting has been horrendous, and it's not just pitching. I mean – Look, Adam Hazley had a nice weekend. He had the four hits on that Sunday, which was the only positive at all out of that game. But, like, they, they drafted Mickey Moniak number one overall, right? And I know that that's not a pitcher, but it brings up the point of you, you drafted Adam Hazley. I believe he was eighth overall. And then are you yeah. already admitting that, oh, Adam Hazley's not the guy? Let's go out and get another outfield? I mean, the philosophy of the draft doesn't even make sense. And then you add the whole developing is an issue, too. I don't understand at all what they have done during any of these drafts. It makes no sense. Well, in, in their defense, and it's it's just the 2016 draft was bad. I mean, sure. they, they got the first overall pick where there was no Bryce Harper. There was no right. Steven it wasn't Strasburg, a great draft. Right? They, none of those types of players that really set, set an organization up for 10 years were available when that happened. So I think the best thing to come out of that draft was Mike Soroka that the Braves got way, way down. And, you know, he was not somebody on most people's radar. So, I mean, kudos to the Braves for for their scouting to find somebody like him. And I will say right. this year, the Phillies did did take a chance. I think they realized that, you know what, high school pitchers are unpredictable. But if you strike, you strike. I mean, it's, right. it's, um, that that's that's kind of the, the big roll of the dice. It's not like the NFL or NBA 
where you, you draft a guy and he's on your roster next thing you know. So it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's really, really hard. It's almost a total crapshoot. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and I will say, boom, Howard, like these guys in Hazley, like there are some guys that are finally starting to at least get some recognition throughout the drafts. But uh, when it comes to developing pitching, which is what the team needs to do, and you mentioned it, you buy the bats and you develop the pitching. Well, that's a huge issue right now because they need pitching. It is so bad. I mean, it is just yeah. disgraceful. And they ended up we, buying we the could also, Yeah, we could also have a conversation maybe for another pod on whether that's even a good philosophy. I mean, the Yankees and the Astros are two really good teams, and they seem to develop the bats. Well, they buy both, but they've certainly got a lot of young, you know, whether it's Torres, whether it's Judge, whether it's, um, you know, Miguel and I mean, they have a lot of guys that they've grown on their own. Same thing with the Astros, right? They've bought the pitchers. They bought Verlander or traded for, you know, they bought Granky. They bought um, Garrett Cole, which is just what the Yankees did. They The Yankees bought Paxton, right? I mean, they buy both those teams have been successful buying pitchers and growing bats, and the Phillies seem to want to do it the opposite way. In fact, I wrote I wrote about that in the World Series. I said, hey, look, this entire pitching that's dominating the World Series and the reason for the Nationals and Astros getting there has all been, except for Steven Strasburg, acquired from somebody else, right? You know, right. the Astros, they, they added Granke. They added um, uh, Verlander, who's now out for the year, by the way. You know, well, he, claims, added, he claims he's not. He shut that down and said, I'm pitching again. He hopes to at least. If you get a hangnail in this season, you're out for the season. So I don't I don't I don't know how major major uh, arm injury is going to translate to not being out for the season at this point. But no, but my point was, you know, um certainly Corbin was a free agent signing and uh, who am I forgetting from the Astros? The um so I mentioned Verlander, uh Granky more and, and uh Garrett Cole they had traded yeah, Garrett Cole, for. excuse me yeah, yeah they, 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 signed, they got yeah. him from Pittsburgh right so right and of course now the Yankees bought him so starting right. pitching is it, it's it's almost like get it when you can get it and just yes pay whatever it costs and you'll win right right I agree so wait let's go back to because we could really spend a, and we'll probably do that in the offseason right spend a whole on the philosophy of the Phillies but let's go back to the rotation and and your thought on Spencer Howard because now I'm trying to figure out Last night was postponed, Monday night. I mean, Tuesday night is postponed. So in this two-game series against the Yankees, do you start Arietta and then bypass Eflin and go straight to Spencer Howard for a normal spot for him? Oh, no, no. Do you, you I'm sorry, Nola. Nola. You go Nola. Right to Nola. And then Spencer Howard to open against Toronto and then just use Eflin in relief for the Yankees series? I would use Eflin in relief. I would use, I would say to Velasquez, you're, you're in the bullpen right now. And mm-hmm. then... And then in fact, that you could even wait a couple of days uh, on on bringing Spencer Howard up and just just put your foot in the accelerator. Just you don't don't make don't make Wheeler late, uh, right? Just just let him pitch when it's his turn to pitch. Because right. uh, with Nola and Wheeler, if there's these weird shutdowns, let them pitch. Make most of your games pitched by those guys because you might get shut down the next day, and then mm-hmm. you lost your opportunity. So I would so definitely. You think Howard would debut then maybe Sunday that second game against the Blue Jays. Yeah, that might that would that would that would sound like a, a good good target and then um it's further along for the conspiracy right. theorists that they maybe were manipulating his service time because <laughs> they would never do such a thing of course no but, no never but now i, I want to bring back uh an opening day conversation because one thing that really surprised me and i was talking about it on twitter uh joe girardi brought in ramon rosso to make his major league debut in a situation i didn't totally understand so now is that an indictment on joe girardi or is that an indictment on this phillies bullpen a little bit of both, I'd say. I was a little underwhelmed with Joe Girardi's first weekend. 
Uh, it wasn't like a huge dumpster fire, but a couple questionable decisions. And I just wonder if, you know, we came into this season going, Joe Girardi probably has more say than Gabe Kapler, right? Because Gabe Kapler was handed the lineup card. He was handed the numbers and he just did whatever he was told. He was the puppet. Is Joe Girardi in the same situation where he's the puppet? I know that's hard to believe, but that's how some of his decisions felt. It was almost uncharacteristic. Really? That's what you're going with? You're going to throw a guy in there who has no experience and he's throwing balls in the dirt because he's nervous and this is a big situation. You take Nola out of the game, there's someone on base, and here you are just throwing the ball in the dirt. It didn't seem like that was a move that Joe Girardi would actually make. I mean, the one thing I've been talking about a lot with you guys is that I expected a different handling of the bullpen with Joe Girardi. Now, I didn't expect him to be a miracle worker. He's not going to make guys better. I mean, you hope maybe he can, he and Brian Price. But I, I you know, I never blamed Gabe for everything last year because I knew he didn't have a great bullpen to even deal with. But that shocked me. I mean, you have a game that's still within reach. You know, Nola had pitched well, but then he got rocked in that inning. You bring him out. And I get it. I, I know... I think to be fair, you do have to learn about certain guys. You didn't have enough real spring training to learn about guys, but you also only have a short amount of time to win as many games as possible. And, you know, I'm not telling you if you bring Jake Pavetta in in that situation or Nick, why do I see call him Jake? <laughs> Nick Pavetta in that situation that you're definitely getting a better result because he can get rocked with the best of them. I just went, I'm surprised he went with a guy who was making his major league debut over someone who had some experience. And it also made me think that it may have been a nice spot for Ranger Suarez to get in if he were healthy. Yeah. But unfortunately, oh. that's not the case. Still haven't heard anything about Suarez. I, no, he's a big loss quiet. right now. Yeah, it's been real quiet. And that's crazy because, you know, you do hear some guys come back. Tommy Hunter, right? And Hector Neris was a part of that. Scott Kingery was a part of that. And they're they're playing. It's crazy to think that you haven't even heard anything. He must be having a – he's not asymptomatic, I would assume. Well, we don't even technically know that it's COVID, right? I sure. mean, it, he could have an arm. Well, I guess if we had an arm injury, they would no, they say would, that. They, they would no? disclose it because they can. Right. They, right. But uh, I think Matt Breen of the Inquirer did confirm that, that that's what it was. So. Well, let me. Oh, okay. there's another situation where uh, I guess you can question it with Joe Girardi. Do you t- so Vince Velasquez had a good first and third inning. The second inning is where he got blown up and he ruined that 4 nothing lead. After Vince Velasquez's third inning, he went to Cole Irving as, as a long relief guy. Do you try and grab as many innings out of Vince Velasquez? He had a decent third. He was at 60 pitches. Do you go Cole Irving? I would at least go Nick Pavetta over Cole Irving. I would I would have given Velasquez one more inning. Agreed. Like I, I, I was surprised that he pulled the trigger sooner. And basically, basically what you have right now is you have Cole Irving and Nick Pavetta as your long men and Irvin will come in when he's facing some lefties and Pavetta will come in when he's facing some righties. I think that, that that was what happened. And of course, neither of them were any good in that, in that long man role. And, you know, for the Phillies to make this season work, they need Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez to pitch well in the bullpen. I mean, that that's basically what's what it's going to come down to. And, you know, maybe that's the reason the vets didn't stick around because the vets were iffy. You know, you didn't really see much from Drew Storen or Bud Norris or Anthony Swarzak. So, um, they basically had to go with these guys instead. I mean, once once Howard's in the rotation, that that that's two former rotation members that are that are going to need to be in your bullpen and need to do something. I mean, let's face it, Vince Velasquez is making three point six million dollars. He's got to do something. 
Yeah, by the way, you mentioned the lefties versus righties thing. You saw the Phillies take advantage of the new rule in that second game when they won 7-1. to They got <laughs> mm-hmm. some good opportunities, some nice matchups for them, and they uh, they took advantage. Just I, I forgot all about too. the rule until that second game. I was like, oh, damn, that's right. Here we go. Yeah, because the Marlins clearly needed to get the – I forget which pitcher it was. They needed to get him out of there, and he just had to battle through two more pitchers. But same thing, too, with the Phillies. I, I, th- I thought that uh, I thought they were kind of stuck um, in a couple situations. And I will say, in terms of the tempo, I mean, aside from all the extra runs being scored, <laughs> you know, th- <laughs> I think the idea was to, to, to get the game to go quicker, but it, but it's just kind of blowing up uh, – a pitcher just is left there to give up a bunch of runs. That makes the game longer, right? Yeah, is, yeah. Is Miguel Rojas, by the way, is he the new Phillies like killer? I mean, are you the, serious I'm trying to think with what, that guy? Like the new Freddie Freeman nice or player. whoever? Is, but just I mean, Jesus yeah. Aguilar had a hell of a series as well. Yeah, but I, you know, he's one of those guys. He came over from what he was with Milwaukee and Seattle. He's always going to hit mistakes over them. But he's going to hit two forty, but he's going to hit like twenty thirty home runs because he's got that kind of power. But this Aguilar guy, I mean, he looked like Derek Jeter against I mean, between, the uh, Avilles. Between Aguilar, VR, and Dickerson, I mean, they've got some at least three professional veteran players to, to go with these they young do. guys. I mean, provided, provided they actually get to play and they haven't tested positive for COVID-19. Um, but, you know, the Marlins, you, you just can't you, – you can't give – you just can't give up on them, right? They, they will hurt you if you're, if you're laissez-faire about, about them coming up to face you. Well, one thing uh, yeah. about the Marlins, and I think this is indicative. Uh, the, the Orioles did this a lot last year, too. They're bad, but they swing the bats because all of them want to go play for something. It's almost like training camp. Like you want to showcase. You want to put good film on. You don't want to be a Marlin for life. You don't want to be an Oriole for life because you know that they've been bad, but you're hoping to get picked up next year. So those guys almost work backwards. Like when you're a pitcher, you like to start a lot of you like to work off your fastball. But these guys come out swinging right from the gate, and you almost have to work backwards. You have to almost start them off with breaking stuff to keep them on their toes a little bit and then come at them with the fastball. So you you have to treat them different. They just swing the bats. And, you know, as we talked about the Phillies lineup, especially in game one and and Reese Hoskins in the number two hole, they they let too many good pitches go, in my opinion. You know who does that that last year in in Reese? Yeah, Reese Hoskins. I mean, there was an at-bat where he didn't swing once. It was a full count, and he walked in. Uh, you know, I got the analytical people ripping me to shreds because I look at Reese Hoskins. I, I don't care about all these walks. I just don't care. And they're like, oh, look at his OBP. And I will say, when you're batting in the two-hole and when you're batting in the four-hole, two totally different scenarios. I get it, right? Getting on base is big if you're batting in that spot. But there used to be pitches where Reese would rock out of this world that he is just watching go down the pipe. And that's what bothers me. If if there were pitches all around the plate where he wasn't even close to, you know, reasonably swinging, I get it. I'm all for it. But he's missing the pitches that he used to drive, and that's what upsets me. Well, Girardi says he's putting him in the two-hole for for that ability to get on base. I mean— it- well, then people... JT needs to get out of the cleanup spot because he can't hit with runners in scoring position. <laughs> and Except he's just for the not one. a cleanup hitter to begin with. I mean, if, if you're going to turn Reese into Cesar Hernandez or Placido Planco, an on-base guy, and you're not really reliant on his power, then you need more power after Harper. See, I, I don't. I think Reese is miscast as a number two hitter. It's I'd have him further down in the line. I want the Kingery there, and I recognize that Kingery's OBP tends to fluctuate and can stink, but he swings the bat. And by the way, he hit a homer in that game. I don't know. I still can't figure out how when they slow mode it, the ball disappears behind the pole, and they call it foul. Anyway, I feel it like it went between it the pole and the, the netting. 
You know, I feel like it went right between the pole and the netting. That's a, that's my take on did it. They go, Maybe, did they go it with, like a homer to me. Did they go with the, uh, we don't have enough evidence to actually overturn it, so we're going with what was on the field? I think that's how they drew the line there. Is this, is this Eagles-Cowboys all over yeah, again? No exactly. clear uh, fumble recovery. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. So, well, so, so that's the lineup. Uh, what about D.D., though? I mean, D.D., uh, you know, I all along I kind of had him as a middle bat, and uh, I, I think, I got poo-pooed about that a lot, but um, but DD's showing he's got the power for CBP. What do you think? I think it's hashtag sign DD. It's changing. <laughs> it's changing around a little bit. I'd extend yeah. him. I'd extend uh, him. Right, give him uh, a little couple years. Yeah, I was. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised because I'm one of those guys who thought take this guy away from Yankee Stadium and you might get more of the Diamondbacks version than the Yankees version because that happens to a lot of guys. They go to the Yankees, they play out of their minds, and then they go somewhere else or they just weren't that good, and then they go to the Yankees and they play out of their minds, right? So I didn't know what to expect, but obviously he's off to a good start, two home runs, and that's the power that they need. So I'm, I'm, I'm pro-DD right now, but it is very early. I can't wait to see him play in New York these two games, provided they happen, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, watch out. I think I think he's going to go in there with a chip on his shoulder, and he, he's going to go go berserk against this Yankees pitching. What do you think, Hunter? Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a good chance of that. The one thing, though with this whole contract situation, you know, I, I would be interested in him coming, you know, coming back if they can do something like that. But I feel like his one-year prove-it deal is for him to go out and get the most amount of money that he possibly could get. You know, he wants to get paid, not Mookie Betts money or anything like that, but, you know, to his standard of big money. And I don't think that that's under the the Phillies, uh, you know, payroll well, situation. Well, I did, I did talk. Although Arietta ta- comes off. I did talk to him at the opening presser and uh, a bunch of us were talking to him afterwards. And he said, Phillies were the only team. I mean, there were no teams that offered him a multi-year deal this year. So that's crazy. So so really of the one year deals, he decided the Phillies was the best. Well, here's the good news. We're talking a lot of actual baseball. We're not talking about labor wars. We're not talking about how we're sitting at home doing nothing. Although we are tonight because there's no Phillies game, but there's Phillies baseball. we, We could talk about, and there'll be much more especially as the Phillies get playing again. And we'll get to talk about it next week. We hope you will join us. This has been the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. Stay safe, everybody.